Good. So who's going to come as a shepherd? Who's going to come as an angel? I've always seen myself as more of a shepherd, but Becca might think I'd do a better angel. We'll wait and see. Um, great to see you this morning. This morning I get, to, um, I get the privilege of concluding our series through the book of James. And it's a series that we've been calling uh, Living Faith. And over the last few months we've been asking, uh, what does faith in the living God really look like? How does it grow and what type of a life does it produce? So over the weeks, we've seen that faith in the living God produces a life full of all sorts of different things. Let me give you a quick summary. We've seen that uh, it leads to a life full of joy, joy that comes from seeing who God is and therefore gives us a different perspective so that when we go through trials and difficulties in life, we have a kind of Godward perspective, a life also full of being quick to listen and slow to speak, changing the way we might react to people. We saw that it produces a life that's unbiased towards people, understanding that they're not so different to us. We all need mercy. We've seen that it produces a life that's quick to serve and therefore to show mercy to others, a life marked by wisdom. And last week, Adrian got his big throne up here and said, it's a life with God in the center, not us. God on the throne, not us. His life-giving rule rather than our self-defeating agenda. So we've looked at a whole lot of stuff, but the danger is that you could... Maybe scan that list there and think, all right, okay, so a life of living faith is essentially about uh, me and God, us two. It's about uh, developing my own spiritual growth, uh, being on my own personal mission. It's about me and him. That's the end goal. So when I come to church and worship, really that's just a context for me and God to connect a bit more. But that would be a grave mistake couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, the, the whole of Scripture says something quite different to that. And, and so does James at the end of his letter here. So when just a moment ago we had our time of worship and it was close your eyes, that's not to pretend there's no one else in the room. No, 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 it's so that we can all fix our eyes on God. And then when we start singing again, there's this huge noise, this collective voice that comes through. And God starts speaking to us. The truth is that Living faith necessarily lives and flourishes in community. In fact, it's pretty hard for it to flourish or live even outside of community. It's like an ember. You take it out of a fire and it initially glows, but pretty soon it becomes cool and dim. Put it back in the fire with lots of other embers and it sets ablaze and suddenly there's a whole wave of light and warmth that comes together. And living faith is like that. Christianity is like that. Following Jesus is like that. Faith flourishes in community and often struggles alone for any great length of time. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the power and the beauty of community, the community of faith, the church. And we're going to do that by asking two questions. Firstly, we're going to ask, why community? Why is community a place of, a place of power and beauty? Why is it the essential context for faith? Why? And then we're going to ask, what is that community like? What is the beauty and the power of it? What? Why then what? But first we're going to read the passage. We're going to be looking at James 5, verse 7 to the end. I'll ask Becca to come and read it because she's much better at reading than me. So um, you can follow on the screen. For the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord, Lord's coming is near. 
Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Thank you, Bex. That's fantastic. So there's a lot in that passage, a lot that has been said. But I hope that you picked up that throughout that reading, there was such a community emphasis. There was a real together tone. And so James talked about suffering together and being patient with one another and not grumbling. Talked about having integrity in our interactions and praying for each other. About standing together in sickness and confessing our sins to one another. And finally, going after anyone if they should in any way wander away. It's such a strong community emphasis, a together tone. And so what I want to do this morning is to explore that tone together. I'm almost going to be preaching a lot more about the tone rather than the specific words, although we will look at the words later on. God's been speaking to me about this stuff loads, actually, in the last year. And so I feel excited that there's an opportunity to share that, particularly on the back of what happened during worship. So firstly, why this tone? Why community? Why is that the place of beauty and power, the essential context for faith? Well, I don't think you need to look very far to see examples of the power and the beauty of community all around us. Let's take an example from music. Um, the violin. The violin is an incredible instrument. It's capable of producing all sorts of emotion because of the power and the beauty of this instrument, even when it's played alone. But you add that violin to an orchestra and suddenly the potential for power and beauty is raised exponentially. My, my wife, Becca, who just read, she um, plays the violin and she'll tell you she absolutely loves playing the violin on her own. And I like it too, actually. She's pretty good. <laughs> but she would say when she was in an orchestra, though, oh, the thrill of being part of something bigger than myself and the collective noise and the power and the beauty produced was immense. Let's take another example from science. Does anybody know who uh, this chap is? Anybody know who that is? He's an astronaut. <laughs> we have a clever bunch today. <laughs> this is Neil Armstrong. This is Neil Armstrong, first man to walk on the moon. He's a man with huge ambition and vision and faith. 
that man could get onto the moon. And there was certainly a moment of beauty and of power when he stepped off the lunar module and walked onto the surface of the moon. And for, for him, that was a moment of great bravery and of adventure. And it was a beautiful and powerful moment for him. And, and yet, with all the will in the world, Neil Armstrong couldn't have gotten to the moon on his own any more than he could jump there. Just couldn't do it. He needed the skill and the ambition and the collective faith of others. He needed the uh, scientists and medics and engineers and pilots and fellow astronauts. And so in 1969, they, when they achieved a lunar landing and the whole world watched on, what they were seeing, what we were seeing, those of us who were alive, was the power of community in action. More can be done together than apart. So without hardly knowing it, we are constantly given pictures of the beauty and the power of community. And actually, we're drawn in and we recognize them as being good. And yet, as Adrian explained to us last week, we live in a culture that increasingly prizes self above all. A culture of celebrity, of self-promotion, of individualism, where I and me are the supreme values. So popular culture sings with Chesney Hawks, I am the one and only. Everyone puts their arms up like that. Sings with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Sings with uh, Bon Jovi, it's my life. Sings with uh, Lady Gaga, I live for the applause, applause. <laughs> live for the applause, applause, applause. I, thanks. I felt like I couldn't quite represent Gaga. She's just in the league of her own. The message is the same for all, though. Me, I, myself. Ravi Zacharias helpfully observes that musicians are the popular philosophers of our time. Uh, they sing the message that the masses end up taking on board and believing. Life is about me. Films like The Hunger Games and, and TV shows like X Factor, they kind of reinforce the message. Survival of the fittest. Uh, make much of yourself. Rise above the rest. Distinguish yourself. Separate yourself. Become isolated. And yet as a consequence of this culture of self, we've seen a huge rise in loneliness all around us. Disconnected people living isolated and disillusioned lives. And so in October... Uh, Jeremy Hunt, who's the current health secretary for the country, he presented a report that showed that 48% of people in Britain experience loneliness. 48%! So every other person you meet would say, yeah, I'm just, I experience loneliness. He, says, he said it was a source of national shame that over 800,000 people, mostly elderly, are chronically lonely in Britain. In fact, over... Five million people reported that the television is their main form of company. So, Brucey tells them on a Saturday night, keep dancing. But they can hardly imagine who with. We're a lonely nation. We've got Facebook and we've got Twitter and all sorts of portable social media, for sure. And in a sense, that does help some people connect. And yet, it also enables us to just sit on the bus and look down at our iPhone so we don't have to look at anybody else. We've got social media, yes. Society, not so much. Communication, yes. Community, no. But isolation is bad for us. That's why prisons have solitary isolation. That's the worst type of punishment. Because psychologists tell us that that in itself is a form of torture because after a while you just feel like you lose hope and you feel disillusioned and in fact it can send you mad. Actually though, 
truth is, it's not good for man to be alone. It never has been. And all around us, people are wanting to escape the pull of individualism, really. And so when something happens like the Olympics or the Queen's Jubilee, everyone says, what a year, what a year. Because we were part of something bigger than ourselves and everyone came together and there was a sense of community. Wasn't it fun when we could all talk to each other about Mo Farah or someone like that? People are longing for community. That's why you shouldn't be shy about inviting someone to the carol service because I'm increasingly surprised by how quickly people want to say yes. Just this week, I just asked a colleague from work and she was like, thank you so much for thinking of me. I was like, all right, well. We're a lonely nation. But this culture of self can quickly infiltrate the church too. So on the one hand, you can have an X-factor type attitude as if church is primarily there to make much of you. Okay, meet my needs. Give me a good worship time on my own. Accommodate my ministry. Give me a platform. Let my giftings be known. You, if you're not going to do that, I'm walking somewhere where my giftings are truly valued. The X Factor attitude of church it often results in comparing yourself to others and grumbling, being quick to criticize, or oh, I could preach much better than that flavor, probably. <laughs> or I wouldn't make a cup of tea or coffee like that. No, no, no. I'm part of the team, but I wouldn't make it like that. No. Separate myself. Or maybe you end up just feeling like I could never be like that. You know, it's not about you. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Some of you, and me too, need just to think of ourselves less often. Understand, it's not all about you, it's not all about me. But alternatively, perhaps you find the culture of individualism pushes you towards loneliness and isolation. Even in your Christian walk, you adopt the attitude that technology has superseded church. So, after all, if you believe that the sermons and the worship and the prayer is primarily about your personal relationship with God, then it won't take you long to think, I'd be better off just to stay in my room with my favorite preacher on my iPod, preaching my favorite sermon, and listening to my Hillsong CD, and just being with myself. Because anyway, I always feel like I know where the worship's going for me. So, I'll put this song on next, and that song on next. Before you know it, you're not meeting at all. You... The gathered community has become just not important to you. You find yourself coming less often and then feeling unknown and unloved, increasingly isolated and prone to loneliness. And then when crisis hits, you feel your only friend is your iPod. It's possible, though, that perhaps you feel lonely and it's not that you've willed it at all. It's not that you've willed it. You haven't chosen that. It's just that we're in a culture which just pushes people out so often that you just feel, you do feel isolated. And, and it's not that you've designed it that way. This culture of individualism is destructive and we've got to be on our guard against it for ourselves and for other people too. To look out. Here's the deal. It's not good for man to be alone. It never has been. God declared that in Genesis 2 verse 18. What's interesting is that um, my friend Pete Trelaw, who was leading worship, um, spoke to me about it the other day when we went for coffee and said, what's interesting about this, Mike, is that God says that before Adam ever fell. I thought, interesting, Pete. Looked into it. He's right. So 
before the fall, before man's relationship with God broke down, when man had a perfect relationship with God, God looked at man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Never has been. Why? Why is that? It's because we were made in the image of God. Made to be like him. In Genesis 1, 28, says that God, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God is community. God is tri-unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always enjoyed a self-giving, life-giving community of love. It's why 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us that God is love. That's who he is. His very essence, God's very being. You want to know what's God like? In his very essence, he's relational and communal. He is love. And he has been since before the creation of the world. That's why Mike Reeves points out God could not very well have been love if there was ever a time when God was on his own and had nobody there to love. Rather, he'd be a needy, lonely, isolated God with the potential for love. But that's not the God of the Bible. Not the living God. The Bible reveals a God who's never been alone. He has always been Father. He has always had a glorious, eternal Son. Jesus and the Father and the Son have delighted in each other and loved one another. And the Holy Spirit has communicated that love and been drawn into it and shared it. God is community. That's why Jesus talks in John 17 and verse 24 of the love and the glory that he shared with the Father since before the creation of the world. The essence of the glory of God is this beautiful, loving unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The community of God is the glory of God. And so Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, Puritan theologian, calls the Trinity the supreme harmony of all. The Trinity is like this most glorious, beautiful, powerful chord as three distinct notes are so united together and the effect is incredible. That's what our God is. And we are made in God's likeness. And to be like God and to bear his image, therefore, is to be made for community. Just as he himself is community. We are made to delight in relating to others. To share our very selves, to be known and understood and enjoyed. Even as God is within the three persons of the Trinity. And guys, this is particularly true of Christians. Because we're those who receive the love of God. At Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus, this eternal Son of God, became flesh, came amongst us in order to reveal God to us, that we might know what God's like. And in order to die on the cross and be poured out in order to draw us into God. And He lives and He's alive to communicate the love of God to us. So if you are a Christian, you've been caught up in the harmony of God. Invited into the community of God. You've been united by faith to Jesus, the Son of God, and so have become a child of God, and therefore a partaker in the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so having been created in his image and joined to him in salvation, we are called now to imitate him in the way that we live. Paul encouraged us to do that. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. 
the picture is to be as little children watching their father, watching what he's like and what he does, and just trying to be like him. Like Chloe Grace, when she watches me play football and thinks, I'm never going to be as good as him, but I just want to try and be like him. She's got a better left foot than I have, that's true. Be imitators of God. And you can't imitate God on your own. You can't do that on your own because God is community. And so the Christian life is not primarily about your spiritual well-being. It's about being caught up in the bride of Christ, the people of God, the church. It's about being caught up in what he wants to share and make known to as many who will come in. Many members belonging to him. Oasis, we need to be communal as he's communal. Relational as he is relational. We like a piano, many different keys. All individual, played together to produce an incredible noise of beauty and of power. That's living faith. That's why community, that's why expressions of genuine functioning community, like an orchestra, like NASA, are, they've got this power and this beauty because they reflect something and a, a truth about God. Living faith flourishes in community. And Je Jesus demonstrated this when he walked on the earth. He gathered a crowd around him. Tells us in Luke's gospel that there were at least 72 people who basically lived life with Jesus. And of those, there were the 12 who did everything with him. They, they came, you know, eating, sleeping, meeting, mission, everything together. Jesus' strategy was not right. Let's just take them one at a time. Okay, a month with you. Uh, just intense one-on-one -on -one time. This is what I'm like. This is how we do things. No one else is allowed in. No, that wasn't Jesus' strategy at all. His strategy was rather no closed doors, access all areas, together approach. That was the best context for them to get to know God. Of course, there were moments of private, intensely personal connection, like when, when John rested on Jesus' lap. I mean, wow, so close to the God. But it, it wasn't behind closed doors. It, it was in the context of a meal. You might think a bit weird to sit on someone's lap with your head during a meal. Well, yeah, it happened back then. Don't be surprised if I just rest my head on Gus's lap in a minute. <laughs> do be surprised. And um, <laughs> encourage me not to do that if that happens. <laughs> Point is, the disciples needed each other. They couldn't become godly. They couldn't become Christ-like. They couldn't become godlike on their own. Because God is community. And that set the precedent for how Jesus meant for his followers always to follow him. That's why in Acts 4, after Jesus' death and resurrection, believers just knew that they had to come together regularly. So it tells us in verse 32 that the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul, and they had everything in common. They were one, imitating God. They were community, imitating God, so that people might look in and know they are Christians by their love. Didn't Jesus say that? Yeah, Jesus said that. So people might look in and say, oh, that's something of what God's like. Not individuals alone. We need each other, Oasis Church. We do. Finding context to meet together is not about routine activity or tradition or going through the motions. It's the lifeblood of living faith. That's why our Sunday gatherings are so important. Don't trivialize them. Connect to them. With the best will in the world, you can't get to every one of them. I certainly can't. But let's just think, oh, hang on, this is a high value because this is where I get to know something more of God together. That's why small groups are so important. That's why we have things like 
momentum and thirst and youth and women's events and, and football and all sorts of things. It's not because we're a social club. It's because we're the children of God, a community. And actually, everybody's welcome here. Everybody. We need each other more than you need your iPod and your worship CD and your book. Don't get me wrong. Those things are great things, and I enjoy those things most days on my own. But more than I need that, I need the gathered community that can worship together and explore the Bible together and pray together and spur one another on. I'm not being unrealistic. There's no condemnation. With the best of in the world, you can't get to every event. Of course you can't. Just want us not to allow the value of it to be eroded by the popular view of culture. God is community, therefore we are community. Simple as that. And whenever actually I gather with others, I'm always so encouraged. It may be that one of you, or indeed so many of you this morning, starts praying out or, or singing a song, and I just think, yes, I see God more clearly now. Or maybe someone just shares with me, like they're going through a really tough time, they're, just trying to, they're trusting God with it, but it's tough. And suddenly I think, wow, what inspiring faith. I'm going to trust like they do. Perhaps it's one of the many great people who are in the small group that I go to, it's sharing an insight into the Bible, and, and, and they see something, and now I see it as well because they've shared it, and it's great. We grow together. Unity is at the center of the scriptures. Moses writes about it, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Paul, Luke, John, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, James. Hebrews 10, 23 tells us, let us consider how to stir one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Just wonder, do you need to change your attitude towards community? Have you had a kind of self-sufficient view? Repent. Quickly receive the grace and the love of God and his desire to draw you into something so beautiful and so powerful. Do you need to maybe look at your diary and think, do I need to make any adjustments? I, I, I do. Mike Blader does. Why community? Because God is community and we are made in his image. And a community gathered in Jesus' name has the potential for incredible beauty and power. That's why. How about what? What exactly is the beauty and the power of the community of living faith? What are some of the distinctives? This is where we're going to look at James a little bit. You'll be pleased to know this is going to be really, really quick. Um, all I'm really going to do is mention four distinctives that James pulls out. I'm just going to really mention them, flag them up, and then in your small groups you can, I'll give some material to explore them some more. James says that a community of faith in the living God, in Jesus Christ, is at least, and this is not exhaustive, a community of hope, integrity, prayer, and love. Firstly, it's a community of hope. In verse 7 to 11, James encourages the believers to be patient and to stand firm and to persevere in the face of suffering. Life's not always easy. In fact, it often isn't. James doesn't deny that. He doesn't hide from that. He doesn't say, if you're a Christian, it's going to be so good for you. And he doesn't say, you need to get together so you can shut the doors and pretend it's not happening, escapism, that'll be good. No, 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 no. Instead, he gives us the reasons why together we can have great confidence and peace and hope, even as we're totally honest about the trials and experience of life. And those reasons are because, number one, of who God is, and number two, what he's done. Firstly, who God is. In verse 11 of the passage, it says that he is full of compassion and mercy. He's full of it. 
Times of great suffering and hardship can leave us all asking, why? Why, God? What's this all about? Well, that's a mystery. There is a mystery behind it all. But I tell you what, the one answer that cannot be right is that God doesn't care. That God's distant and far off and unmoved. He's full of compassion. How do I know? Because no other God is like the God revealed in Jesus, who came down, who lived like we live, who suffered alongside us, who experienced what we experience, who experienced and took on himself ultimate suffering so that we might not endure it forever. Separation from God. He came to suffer, to bring us home. He's full of mercy and compassion. He's near even through suffering, especially through suffering. And that turns a desert place into a place of deep wells. The thing is, harder to perceive that on your own. But when you're in the community of God, and that it just we can remind each other. But also we hope, not just because of who he is, but what he's done. In verse 8 of chapter 5, it says, Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Can I just say, that's good news. That's really good news. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our pain and our suffering and our sin and our sickness, and he declared, it is finished. We know that he was right to say that because three days later, he rose again in glorious beauty and power. And he promises he's going to come back when the mystery of the work of God is complete. Even in all the suffering, he's going to return. And what's it going to look like? Revelation says... He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness. He's going to make all things new. This isn't pie in the sky. This is true. The thing is, if you're anything like me, then you can sometimes need help living in this hope because sometimes God's comforting presence is a little harder to perceive. And sometimes the reality of his return is just not so tangible. We need people to come alongside and lift our eyes and, and, and remind us of who he is. Over the last few months, there have been many people who have gone through all sorts of things. And one couple in particular is Andy and Miranda Hogburn. And I asked if I could share a little bit of their story. Uh, some of you will know them, others you won't. Andy got baptized in May on the back of an incredible journey of discovering God's love and mercy and providence in Jesus. And uh, Andy has lymphoma, cancer of the blood. And he was diagnosed also with pretty um, advanced prostate cancer, local but advanced And then his brother got the same thing. And so Andy had to have a a, a big operation in August. And uh, there were some various complications. And he ended up spending weeks and weeks in hospital. And sometimes in quite a critical condition. And the whole thing was just so tough for Andy and Miranda. Uh, Physically, emotionally, psychologically. And they they decided in that moment not to retreat. But to be open to a community standing alongside them in that moment. And they never gave up hope. In fact, hope was something that could be seen more vividly in some ways by those of us around. Oftentimes, standing with Andy and Miranda in prayer, believing that God is a God of the the miraculous, he could heal Andy just like that, but knowing also that God is a God whose greatest gift is himself and that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not, not life nor death, nothing. 
So Andy and Miranda have been able to walk through this in great hope, sharing their experience through the, the tough times and the good times with the community. And as a result, you see a community that's beautiful and attractive to those who are not part of it and looking in. I want to honor them for that. I want to thank them for that. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Community of God is a community of hope. Secondly, community of living faith is a community of integrity. In verse 12, James encourages us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. He's talking about being the people who are what they say they are. Who don't have to distinguish themselves from times when they're speaking the truth to from times when they're not. At school, I remember when, when, when I wanted people to know I'm being really serious, I'm telling the truth, I'd say, look, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. That's weird. It's an ugly thing to do. Well, if someone had said, go on then. Not that truthful. Uh, People of God don't need to stick, people in, stick, stick needles in their eye. Or people. First, first John 1 John 1.5 says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Similarly, those who are created in the image of God, drawn back to God in salvation, imitators of God, are consistent. We don't have to pretend we're something we're not. We don't have to wear masks. Be people who are who we say we are. Not more concerned with our reputation than being real. Okay, not people who are like, just as long as the PA and the visuals and everything is slick, then we'll look the part. No, we're just going to be real, to be honest. It, even to the point when we can confess our sins to one another, like James tells us in verse 16, that's real beauty and real power. A place when you can just be yourself and even bring your failures and be carried by friends to the throne of grace upon which Jesus sits full of mercy and compassion. I'm not saying... Who wants to come up and confess some things? I'm not saying, tell everybody, broadcast everything. I'm just saying that the community of God is a community of integrity where you can be yourself because at the heart of it is a loving, compassionate, gracious God. Thirdly, a community of living faith is a community of prayer where Jesus sits on the throne and where we can turn all of life over to him. Verse 12 says, if we're in trouble, we pray together. We can remind ourselves that the Psalms say that God is our refuge and our fortress. If we're happy and we're enjoying success, then we can sing together. Now, it's good to, to celebrate things that happen within the community. Like, we like to hear about babies. Sometimes we like to have them at the front being cute. We like to hear about engagements. We like to hear about addiction recovery. We like to hear about jobs. We like to hear about broken relationships restored. We like that. We sing about that stuff because we're a community. What happens to you happens to me. The Bible calls us the body of Christ. We're connected. We're united. I learned that in uh, medical school. The toe bone's connected to the foot bone. The foot bone's connected to the knee bone. We're connected. What happens to one happens to all. So we celebrate together. And if we're sick, we pray together knowing that he can heal. He really can. And I love it when someone like Sarah Bowen comes along and says to me, Mike, why don't we pray for someone to be healed? Because, you know, Jesus can do it. And suddenly my faith rises and I think, yes, he can do it. We're going to pray. Praying together is so important because we bring our different perspectives and our different experiences of God and our different personalities and it becomes a hotbed of faith, which is why you should come to our prayer meetings. It's just great fun. Amen. And finally, community of living faith is a community of love. Of course, it has to be. If God is love, the community of God must be love. A self-giving love, though, a life-giving love that's not closed but draws others in totally committed to each other, even when someone starts drifting away. It's a moment not to wash our hands, 
to pray earnestly, to love them, to keep extending an invitation. People did that for me. There was a time when my faith was just on the edge. Which way was I going to go? I remember just the, the, the extent to which people loved me. People invited me into their homes. People prayed for me. People just wanted the best for me. And it drew me in. And I came to see God through it. Because truly they imitated the love of God. Let's again commit to community, shall we? Our God is community. And he is beautiful. And he is powerful. And when we imitate him, we imitate power and beauty. And it's not for just us, it's for everyone to come in and to experience the goodness of God. Let's be a people that commit to community. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. And we'll finish. Straight after I pray, if, um, if you've got any kids, it'd be great if you could pick them up. Uh, right now, they'll probably be learning the uh, Christmas song that they've written, and they're going to be performing on the 15th of December. Very excited about that. Uh, but but if, if actually there's, there's a few people who I'd like to see up here if you, if you wanted prayer with the prayer team being here. That's if maybe you'd say, I, I, you know, I never realized that God was like that. Uh, church is a new thing to me. I'm not a Christian. I'm exploring. I'd love to speak to you about it. And, and also, maybe you'd say, I fall into the loneliness category, and I just need people to stand with me right now. I'd love to pray for you up here. Okay. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you are the eternal Son of God who has forever enjoyed the love and life of the Father. I thank you that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the most glorious harmony, the supreme harmony. I thank you, though, Jesus, at Christmas time, we remember you came to catch us up into it, that where we'd pulled away, you weren't going to give up on us. You were going to secure for us the love of God and communion with God. Thank you that as we taste and see that you are good, we get to reflect who you are in the way that we are with one another. And Lord, I just pray you'd help me to be less selfish and more self-giving. It's not that we all have to be extroverts. It's just that we value people and value being together. Pray that you'd make us Oasis Church into a mighty community of true power and true beauty, full of uh, integrity and hope and prayer and love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great.